Welcome, everyone, to All About Windows Phone Insight podcast number 152, recording this on Monday, the 7th, 7th of September 2015, after a gap of, uh, I think, about 10 days. But uh, we're back and raring to go, aren't we, Rafe Lanford? We are indeed. And what Steve is far too polite to say, given that he's a British gentleman, that it's my fault that we're running a little bit behind. But the good news is we should be able to get back on track in the future weeks because we're recording this extra early and then there'll be eight days until we return to our kind of usual Tuesday recording slot. But as a result, we have got quite a few, I think it's fair to say, um, actually some quite major news items, but lots of news items to walk through this week, Steve. So I think we'll be focusing on those rather than the long-winded discussions and I can probably hear the cheering in the background already. Long-winded us, I can't believe it. Anyway. Yeah, not us, <laughs> Rafe, I think is the uh, answer there. There was one exciting bit of software that kind of, it, well, people use the word leaked, but it's all, I don't think it's leaked. It's a beta that is available in the Windows phone store, at least for Windows 10 mobile, for the insider pre- preview people, which is probably most of the people listening to this. Uh, the unified messaging Skype beta for Windows 10 mobile, which is a very long-winded way of saying that Microsoft has finally got out the door. It's all in one application that basically handles your text messages, your telephony, and your Skype instant messaging uh, and Skype calling, of course, all in the one application, which is a very ambitious program, but it seems to do the job. We've I've tried it up on my on the Lumia fifteen twenty here, and uh, apart from just doing a couple of test calls, it all worked perfectly. The only thing it doesn't do is Skype video, so I'm assuming they'll they'll actually keep the main Skype application available as well on the main app list to cover video calling and also as a different way into specifically into the Skype IM and Skype uh, for just audio calls. But uh, a really nice attempt. I think this is, will presumably be part of the platform itself when it ships as an over-the-air update in about a month or so's time, Rafe. So uh, it, it'll probably be a standalone app in the store, but it'll be very tightly integrated into the telephony side of things at least. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, Microsoft has kind of previous form on the Windows platform uh, for this. You know, they've kind of integrated Skype in certainly to the calling screen and there were always hints that sort of the messaging would follow. And, you know, going back actually, Windows Phone early on did a lot of integration in terms of things with MSN Messenger and sort of Facebook Messenger, some of those, but never really delivered on that promise. And it's kind of one of the things that, in a sense, was a disappointment for me. Uh, but it's very interesting, obviously, Microsoft now owns Skype, so perhaps easier to do that integration and certainly will go further than on any other platform in terms of that kind of level of integration. I think particularly the messaging stuff gets interesting. I would have course love to see it come with some of the other messaging providers you know actually being able to just swap seamlessly into facebook messaging whatsapp kind of being the big ones but even so i know there are a lot of people out there that use skype a lot for calling particularly for international i mean skype makes up depending on who you ask between uh, 10 and 25 percent of all international calls and so for some people you know this could actually be a very big deal having it sort of fully integrated and i think the point probably steve is it's much easier to use when it's all integrated rather than as a standalone app yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> at least in theory, we have seen examples, as you say, with things like Facebook, where they've actually started splitting applications up into individual functions just to make it easier for users. But I think, because certainly, uh, as we've seen with Apple's iMessage and also Google Hangouts, there, there is there is a certain um, benefit in having everything in one place. The disadvantage, of course, is that things get confusing. You think, well, did that go as a text? Did that go as an IM? And then you, it, it, with people, certainly with iMessage, with the tie-in with phone numbers, I think people 
people have had all sorts of problems. And when they've sold their iPhones, they've actually had to be, take go to extreme measures to disassociate their, their their iMessage account from their phone number, so that they can the, the, the next person, next owner of the phone, doesn't then start picking up their iMessages. So it can all get a bit confusing. And uh, I'm guessing Microsoft is uh, getting this beta out nice and early, so that they can get feedback from the likes of you and I and uh, the the insider preview program folk to make sure it all works smoothly when it finally rolls out. Yeah, that's right. It'd be interesting to see whether this is kind of part of the default installed or whether it stays as kind of a, an optional thing, because you can kind of see it happening both ways. But it is interesting because there is this this trend for sort of more platform integration and tying things in it. And when I say that, I'm including the kind of the default applications in that rather than having it separate. But as you rightly say, we're also seeing unbundling and Facebook, one of the best examples of that. But you know, I guess we've seen it with Foursquare with um, the Swarm app and Foursquare app uh, kind of it's interesting to wonder how much of that happens versus how much integrated into the system. And, you know, obviously things like Cortana and Google now and Siri are doing things that might previously have been in apps. And so that kind of outside of app functionality of which I would kind of count Skype and messaging as one of those, and particularly say, start thinking about Hangouts and iMessages equivalent to this on other platforms. You know, it's quite intriguing, but of course it does come back to the old ecosystem problem. You know, it's fine if that's what you're using, but if you're using something else, you, as you're sort of suggesting there, you get a bit of a mixed message. And I think early on in this this particular example as well, you know, there will be reason to continue using standalone Skype. And, you know, the integration before has been a bit hit and miss. There has been this idea that you could hand over to a video call on Skype and you dive into the application. But the performance hasn't always been there to make that kind of quite the, the promise uh, of the vision. Uh, the reality sometimes is a little bit different. Nonetheless, I, I think this is, you know, a kind of a sensible move um i do wonder as you say how do you differentiate between the different types of messages uh, for a lot of people they won't care it just needs needs to work but you do need to be intelligent on the background to make sure that someone's you know not you know sending off skype messages and they're kind of disappearing into the ether in terms of you know maybe not getting read or something uh, i don't know quite how you solve that problem um particularly and you know, as you say others have struggled with it in particular when you move phones or move platforms nonetheless um quite an intriguing one and I, you know i gave this a, a quick go and thought yes you know this kind of unified vision is what i'd like to see but i'm maybe a little bit skeptical on on past past performance not just for microsoft but on other platforms as well yeah you can see quite clearly in the interface which items have gone via text and which have gone via skype im so hopefully it will all be clear yeah, when it yeah. appears anyway um you mentioned also this performance day i would say that skype on windows 10 mobile isn't isn't perhaps as quite as speedy as one would like. That Skype's never been as speedy as one would like on <laughs> Windows Phone, period. But then having said that, we were moaning before the podcast how incredibly slow Skype is now on the desktop. So I, I, I don't know, really. I, I think it's the on mobile is a better experience than on laptops and desktops, which is just paradoxical, really. So when I want to make a Skype call, I completely ignore all my powerful hardware and I pick up my smartphone. Is, is, am I unusual? No, I don't think you are. I, I do exactly the same thing. Um, it, it does obviously depend what you're doing. And I think particularly for voice calling on, on, on a smartphone, Skype is actually pretty, pretty good. Um, it's certainly better than some of the competition. I mean, WhatsApp introduced voice calling quite recently and I've had a pretty frustrating time with that. And not just the quality calls, but actually whether people are able to pick them up and whether that's sort of platform or app or, you know, something else. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think Skype and performance are sort of, uh, one of those words that tends to bring out quite a fierce debate. Um, but 
you know, if it all works properly, of course, you know, your, your smartphone is the right device to do it on. I think that Skype became so well established on laptops and desktop was almost accidental because that's where it was. Um, and, you know, being able to do everything on a phone or a tablet kind of makes a lot more sense to me for Skype usage, not least because of, you know, the better cameras built in and that kind of thing. And, you know, it's where you do all your communication from. Uh, you know, Skype is really, really popular, I think, with people calling families, particularly if you're doing the video calling, it's, you know, calling grandparents and that kind of thing, or when you're overseas or the families apart. I don't know how much people do it for kind of, if you like, productivity calls. And it's not just business stuff, but the day-to-day stuff. But, you know, when it's overseas, maybe, um, you know, people are willing to put up with a bit more for family. But once it starts getting integrated, you know, it's interesting if it's really seamlessly integrated, if I know that calling on Skype is going to be cheaper than using my operator, will I start using Skype all the time? Actually, yeah, I, I probably would, to be honest, especially as you can put a caller ID against a Skype account now. So as far as the other end's concerned, the call is coming from your mobile phone. Yeah, and of course, this podcast has been recorded over Skype, so we shouldn't um, lambast it too much because <laughs> it might cut us off. <laughs> I did put a piece talking of application updates, etc. Um, earlier in the week, talking about the way our system components even can now be updated separately on on our smartphones. Back in the day, I mean, I was reminiscing slightly, Rafe, and you go back as far as I do. Almost, I say almost because obviously you're a young <laughs> thing. Um, back in the early two thousands, if you wanted your any, anything updated in your in your smartphone. Um, you had to basically take it into a service centre and a technician would plug it into some gadgets and three hours later, if you're lucky, you might end up with a slight update. Then, of course, we had, um, had Nokia, which uh, sort of pioneered the whole app store thing with their download system, whereby you could get third-party apps, you know, hand-picked by Nokia, and some system components could be downloaded and updated through that application on your phone, which is about 2004, 2005. Then we had, uh, finally, um, I guess I should credit Apple here with sort of making it mainstream, the iPhone in 2008, I think it was, they, they introduced the App Store, and then you could actually have third-party applications could be downloaded and updated. Um, and then finally, finally, we're now just starting to get to the stage, certainly on Android with the Google Play services and now with Windows um, Phone and certainly with Windows 10 Mobile, where just about every application you see on your app list is also available for updating in the store. In other words, they can, if they want to put out a patch to calendar or something it just appears in the store there's no need to, to uh, ch- check that app with carriers and networks no need to get approval they simply update it through the store bingo everyone's got it instantly so we're kind of getting to that nirvana in 2015 where they can basically update anything um <laughs> without seemingly um without needing to go through lots of approvals and one example of this i noticed that on one of my windows 10 mobile insider preview devices and i put the screenshot in the article, uh, one of the items that popped up in the App Store on Windows 10 Mobile was Microsoft.NET Native Runtime Package 1.1. <laughs> How the heck is the Microsoft Net Runtime Package? That's even that's been split off and devolved now to be updated separately in the store, which uh, I guess goes to show that there's not that much left in the main OS. <laughs> uh, it's a, well, that's interesting. I mean, does the main I'm OS joking. become a kind of <laughs> a package of some of these when you're doing an update? And it is very noticeable on the Windows 10 Mobile that you kind of install a, an update and then it will download a whole bunch of app updates as well, which are associated uh, with it in, in some form or another. I mean, it, it does, particularly in the Windows world, feel like it's becoming much more like kind of uh, desktop Windows and that you kind of get these, it's not just security, but it's kind of updates to core functionality as you go along. And I guess it's a, a measure of the two platforms coming close together and having maybe a little bit more in common than they used to. 
But you're right to say actually the same thing happens on Android and to a, I think maybe to a slightly lesser extent on iOS, but then uh, Apple seems to push out uh, updates on maybe a slightly more frequent basis. And uh, we've talked in the past about the kind of the different things that they have to do there. Um, but I think this can only be good news for consumers because you're more likely to get the most update version and, and fix bugs. I mean, I can remember several smartphones and we are going back a few years that there'll be an annoying bug and it could be something around Bluetooth connectivity with a car. And yes, you would have to go to a service center to get the update. But more to the point, sometimes you'd have to wait, you know, nine months for that to happen for your particular bug to be fixed. And there certainly was an expectation of getting major new bits of functionality or significant app updates to those core apps unless there was a major platform change. And, you know, even then it, it wasn't sort of happening every year. It was maybe every couple of years or maybe 18 months, depending on what, what you're looking at. So it, it's a good thing. I mean, I imagine it's pretty hard to pull off from a engineering point of view, but it uh, absolutely also aligns with what Microsoft has said. You know, they've talked about Windows becoming a service and moving away from these big major release points. I don't think they'll ever go away altogether, but it's sort of, the idea that you subscribe to office 365 and you get the latest versions of all of those apps you know the clear extension of that when microsoft talks about it as a service and a subscription is you'll eventually kind of pay for windows or get it with your device and then get kind of a continuous stream of updates now i I kind of do have mixed feelings about that but certainly from a a mobile point of view i think it it is only going to be a good thing to make sure you get so updates and it's been very noticeable during the um inside a program that there's actually been some pretty substantial app updates um partly that's new apps appearing but also um, the way that microsoft photos has come on for example in terms of performance uh maybe not so much in terms of functionality there's a few new bits that are coming but it's certainly got smoother over the course of that that kind of trial period and i think i'm right in saying steve there's probably been four or five updates for that app yeah, absolutely. I would say it's not quite there yet because, of course, it has to tie in very tightly with the camera, app, which I still don't think is quite there in terms of the workflow of taking a photograph, um, editing it in the camera app, or then perhaps moving to photos, editing it for in the photos. All those things need to be tied together, and they're not quite there yet. I am expecting quite a few extra tweaks to the main Windows 10 mobile camera app, and I've got a whole list of things I'm watching out for, not least <laughs> things like um, 4K video recording, which, of course, is very important to people with the 930 icon and fifteen twenty, and presumably the uh, the new device is coming out at the uh, yeah. the end sometime next month. Of course, they will have four K recording. So for, for those devices alone, they've got to actually put that uh, code in the app. So there's there's lots still to do on photos, but it's good to see all these different applications still being updated almost every day. Really, there's something to install on our phones. Yeah, indeed. Um, now moving on, I had a rant about the um, the Microsoft Store. Now this applies to Windows Phone eight point one, and of course to ten mobile. Um, I, I was actually using a couple of high-profile examples. We had uh, I've been reviewing Hitman Go on the site today, actually. So go and look at read the review if you haven't already. And so excellent uh, puzzle stroke strategy game. Um, but they, the, the developers also released, released Lara Croft Go, which is basically the same kind of idea, but set in the Aztec jungle and highly slick, highly professional. Again, highly recommended. But there was a clone app saying Lara Croft Go full version free rather than four or five pounds. And, of course, it was, it was a, done by some scammer in the Far East, and he, it even shows his real name, I presume, in the, in the developer listing. Now, that one has been pulled down. Presumably so many people complain. Microsoft's pulled their finger and got rid of it. But the other high-profile application I complained about was Infinite Flight, the flight simulator, which has been around for the yonks on Windows Phone. 
I would say it's normally about um, four or five pounds, I think, um, on as a commercial app. And, and yeah, it's up there at a completely fake version from a fake developer, $1.49. And of course, it's got one review, and that's a one star, somebody saying it doesn't work. Well, no surprise, it doesn't work. It's not the real application. So uh, it certainly hasn't got access to If they have copied the, the code, they certainly haven't got access to all the different uh, cloud services that make Infinite Flight run. So I'm just shocked that so, there's so such lax quality control in the in the, the Microsoft Store, Rafe. And what, what's the solution? I, I'm guessing that they're letting almost everything through on just very rudimentary automated testing and then sitting back and waiting Google-style for the wisdom of the crowd, say, to point out, you know, fraud, to point out apps with problems. The, the Microsoft hasn't got that luxury. They haven't got uh, 80% market share and um, t- 2 billion users to do all this for them. They've got to ha- put a bit more effort in at their end, put manpower on the job, to individually check every application and say, hang on a minute, is there another app of the same name? Is it, if so, is it from the same developer? Is it a variant or is it a fake? Is it a copy? And I just, I, I put in various finger in the air statistics suggesting uh, I, I think Microsoft could solve the problem comparatively cheaply. And various people made some excellent suggestions in the comments, not least the fact that if it's a known developer with a good track record after his first app has been completely passed through and, and checked and to high heaven and, and found fine, then anything else he produces can be then put through the rudimentary or automated service. But new developers producing new titles, they should be heavily scrutinised. So, Mr. Blanford, what do you think? I, you know, I think the comment about, you know, kind of having a almost white list of developers who have done the right thing seems very sensible. You know, there is obviously going to be a significant burden and cost to doing that kind of checking. But even just doing the basic rudimentary, I mean, as you said, you can work it out in probably just a handful of seconds if you're uh, familiar with the store and you know presumably these people are looking at stuff day in day out so it does <laughs> seem really surprising that this still hasn't really been fixed um and you know this is a problem that actually extends on to kind of windows 10 the desktop version you see kind of maybe not quite so blatant but certainly similar things happening and it, it just devalues the the app store and it, it Honestly, I think um, this feels like a rerun of a discussion we've had three or four times over the last couple of years, and it sounded like a bit of a broken record saying it. But, I mean, the two examples you highlighted were particularly egregious. I mean, it's just, you know, I get particularly annoyed when someone's trying to profit off it, and, um, you know, the Infinite Flight Simulator, an example of that. But even, you know, the Lara Croft Go, where it's, you know, ripping off um, the original development, it's just just so... um, I, uh, yes, you can tell I'm almost lost, lost for Ray words. Ray Blanford just, is lost for words. That doesn't happen very often. I'm, you know, you just get so irritated by this. And I imagine, you know, for developers looking in on this, they sort of go, well, if that's kind of Microsoft's attitude. Why should we, why should we bother? Um, you know, I think there's plenty of examples in the Android world with uh, piracy and actually not dissimilar things happening that it's pretty obvious what happens. You know, people get annoyed. You know, you just destroy the value of the app store. You annoy your developers and it's very, very difficult to get that goodwill back. Um, and it, even if that wasn't enough, the fact that consumers get confused is, you know, it, that's just doomed for trying to get them to download apps, which is obviously something you kind of want to encourage and get them tied into the platform and all of that. So it just feels to me that given that we're not actually talking about vast numbers of app submissions, Microsoft should really make more of an effort here um, and, you know, not be reliant on the wisdom of the crowds. It's it's possible to understand how for some less high profile stuff, it might happen. Um, But would it really be so hard to sort of, download and try out each app as a a, a human i mean 
I know from having looked through it, there can be as many as four or 500 apps coming through um, a day, but I would have thought a team of 10 people would be able to keep on top of something like that. And given that it's such a vital part of modern smartphones, uh, you know, maybe I misunderstand the economics or there's some other reason that this, this can't be done. But uh, yeah, it, it continues to be extremely disappointing. Uh, I mean, I get equally frustrated with some of the rubbish you get on the Android store. And I mean, I think Apple is has harder control, so it's much more difficult to get an app through like that. But even there, you do get sort of uh, some quality control issues. Um, so uh, I guess it's part of the general rant against app stores. And I still actually feel that app stores in general perhaps aren't the ideal way of uh, discovering apps. And we still need to work out how that, that works best. And, you know, it's easy to say for kind of the utility or the productivity or link to brands you can experiment and find them off the brand website so if you're i know you're an eon that's an electricity company in the uk you get a clear steer from their website uh, but for some of the indie app developers this is a really serious problem because you know the app store is really the only way they get discovered unless they can kind of get a good website app or, or crack some of the other viral kind of discovery distribution methods and uh yeah as i say so you can probably hear the irritation in my tone um, and that's not because I'm reading the same editorial from Steve for the third time in three years. It's it's because, uh, you know, th- this is a genuine problem. Yeah, that's why I like to highlight um, applications and games in the, certainly in the flow column as well, on the sites that they're, they're applications I've personally installed, tried out, screenshotted. These are the real things. And surprisingly, say it's an application called, I don't know, Cinema. Quite often, if you look at the actual URL and where it's found in the in the app store, quite often it comes up as Cinema 3 or Cinema 4 or whatever the word happens to be, because there are already three clones or three fakes before the real thing. So <laughs> we always make sure in the we provide a genuine link in our stories and at least maybe if people just search for the game or title or application they're looking for in the the search box on all about windows phone then they should come to one of our content items which is guaranteed to have the right link not some fake link in an app store rant 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 i did notice ray just going back to the s word symbian um i was back back in the day i was one always wondering why there weren't more gamers produced for symbian handsets by developers but uh as something of an archivist in 2015, going back looking for genu- genuine copies of some of these old games, it's amazing how many of them are just available all over the web in pirated form. They're binaries. Anyone can download them. And who knows what's been done to them. They might be genuine. They might not. Certainly developers not getting a cut. And they might have Trojans and malware and all sorts of nasties inside. So there's a complete minefield. And I appreciate that running an application store isn't trivial but i just i'm glad you're in agreement that microsoft certainly needs to put some more human manpower behind this problem yeah well i think we've probably uh, waved our walking sticks in the air as grumpy old men for for long enough (laughs) on that one um i just want to actually bring up an app that was another one of your um uh, rants and i was complete agreement with you and that's the update for bbc iplayer which uh, at first look didn't seem to be that significant an update. And I think I'm around saying it's the first update it's had in about uh, 10 months or so. Uh, but actually, it was a pretty good one, wasn't it? Because this actually made it work on S4 and Snapdragon 200 base phones. Because previously, uh, we talked about on the podcast how the streaming was basically wasn't working. The performance was bad. So I'm not quite sure where the update has come from. Perhaps it's the way the app is sort of now able to access the right stream. But I think we have to give a thumbs up when something actually goes our way for once. 
Yes, I was quite amused by all the other sites reporting this update, and they were scrambling around. They could not find a single thing that had actually changed that they could uh, latch onto. But uh, as ever, we ha- I had a list of my things of, for Microsoft to fix, which is now runs into the hundreds. It sits beside my desk, and one of the things was, um, yes, BBC iPlayer is broken on lower spec and older hardware, and I, I tried it out, and bingo, um, it, everything works. Snapdragon 200 and things like the Lumia 925, 920, and 1020, BBC iPlayer now works flawlessly. And what happened is that the the update they did a year or so ago was kind of tied into the stream, higher definition streams, higher bitrate streams used by, the, I think, for example, Android phones, top Android phones and the iPhone. And let's just say the the Windows Phone video player streaming performance wasn't quite as uh, quite as stellar, and of course it was falling foul of these higher bit rates, higher resolution streams. But this update now ties in the uh, the Windows phones and the older stuff um, with lower streams. Of course, the BBC iPlayer servers they maintain all sorts of streams for different devices, going right down to things like that. We've got a Nintendo Wii downstairs console, which acts as a quite a low resolution stream. So things now seem to be hooked up with the right streams, and uh, yeah. BBC iPlayer is now recommended for all, not thoroughly recommended, Rafe, because you still can't download programs like you used to back in the day and certainly on other platforms, but at least it's a workable solution for live TV now and for you know catching up with the odd program if you're on Wi-Fi. Okay, so there we go. Only a half whirl of the walking stick then. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, just move on briefly. Um, the Jade Primo, I hope I pronounced that right, was launched at IFA. I know you were scheduled to go to IFA. We've kind of trailed that you'd be at IFA, but I think work prevented you from going. But uh, uh, Jade Primo basically is, is a, a fairly high-spec Windows 10 mobile device, and that's by Acer. And the, 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 the reason we're mentioning it is the fact that they demonstrated on stage, well, they, they kind of fudged it, but they did kind of demonstrate Continuum for the first time ahead of uh, Microsoft demonstrating, of course, on the upcoming 950 and 950XL. So basically they showed in, in um, Windows 10 Maps and also, I think, in Word and Excel and basically just using a large monitor with their, their phone docked as if as if it was a desktop or laptop PC attached to this monitor. And then they just calmly took the phone off and there were the same applications and it was the the phone had been driving at all. This is the Jade Primo. It's still, I looked at the photographs that some of the sites managed to get and it's a very, very prototype device. And you can see this, this really is early days. They didn't like any journalists actually get hands on time with them. So this is clearly quite flaky in early days. Windows 10 Mobile itself is flaky in early days. Hey, come on. I think and I can continue and we'll take another month or two beyond that to shake down. So I would expect to see Jade Primo come out as a retail device, probably January, February next year. Does that sound realistic yeah, to you? Yeah, I think it's, yeah, that's probably fair enough. I mean, it's interesting to see that what I would regard as, you know, a, a manufacturer that has its traditional strength in producing PCs and laptops, although don't get me wrong, it's uh, produced quite a number of Android devices and indeed a Windows phone device in the part, um, produce something that is very much in that kind of crossover space. And that's where Continuum gets so interesting. Until we really try it out for ourselves and live for it for a while, it's difficult to know how much of a, a thing it will be. You know, will this just be one of those things that sounds like a good idea, but in practice you don't use all that often? Or does it have real potential? And certainly I've always been attracted by this idea of kind of devices that can be more than one thing and sort of transform in some ways. But having seen things like the Motorola, Motorola Atrix in the past sort of full flat it's i i'm you know a little bit of um skepticism i think is probably healthy but i mean actually this is a pretty nice device 5.5 inch super amoled display snapdragon 808 uh, i think it's 21 megapixel uh, rear camera and it's usb type c connected so i think we're going to see quite a lot of 
Windows phone devices with that kind of spec that are mid-tier towards the high end. And then, as you say, this continuum functionality. I mean, Acer did announce a couple of uh, lower-end devices, um, as we mentioned in the previous podcast with uh, Arcos doing one. I, I don't think it's anything particularly to write home about, you know, just to say that the costs and the fact that they're supporting it is kind of interesting. It's a bit more momentum for windows 10 mobile but the other thing we kind of know about uh, continuum is that it is going to be supported by some of the lumia devices and actually we've seen kind of a leaked version of what's referred to as munchkin which is an accessory for what we think will be the lumia whether it's 940 950 in the xl version of that um, and that's going to be kind of a little thing that you can plug the phone into essentially and then have it obviously run off to your monitors keyboards and everything else so you know there's there's clearly a bit of thought being given to that and uh having had a chance to watch the video and yes you're absolutely right it was um held together with uh, rubber bands and bits of street or at least it felt like that and as you say they were not giving anyone a, a too close look on it it's interesting that microsoft agreed to let them do it or maybe they did it without uh, microsoft knowing what was going to be <laughs> having a, no idea um it, it it definitely remains intriguing and I'm actually really keen to see it um, in person and kind of run it through its paces because I can definitely see scenarios where um, it would be useful for me, you know, when I've left behind a laptop, I haven't got easy access to a PC. Will it really replace that kind of usage? I, I don't know because I'm fortunate enough to have a laptop and, uh, you know, a desktop, an easy access to a desktop PC. I'm not sure how much I'd do it. But I can see, you know, if I was on the road, and I don't know if it really works smoothly, I could certainly see myself connecting it to a, a TV and kind of using the TV as kind of a big screen to do some media playback. And I kind of already do that using um, some of the kind of uh, mirror cast and those kind of functions. If that goes just a little bit more forward, yeah, maybe I would do a bit of email or maybe some uh, spreadsheets. Yeah, it's really difficult to know. So that's why I'm so keen to hear more about it. And I think the key here is it has to be really simple to use and not, you know, some really expensive add-on or adding significantly to the cost of the device, which is really what's done for the kind of other solutions. There have been kind of some modular approach or slot things in and out. Um, looks quite promising in that regard. So I think it's a bit of a wait and see one. Yeah, if people will cast their minds back to Nokia World, I think it was 2011 or 2012, the last big Nokia World anyway, there's a photograph of you, myself, you and Spence, David Gilson, all sitting around a table in the press lounge with laptops, except the fact that mine wasn't a laptop. Mine, I was using the Atrix, I was using the Atrix laptop frame with a Motorola Atrix. I was trying it out and it was a complete disaster. And then the people, journalists all over, podcasters all over the web, they're now comparing Continuum with the Atrix and saying, well, uh, let's hope it's better than the Atrix. The Atrix was an overpriced dis- clutch of the highest order. In the Atrix, wasn't just one one operating system, one processor. Indeed. The Atrix actually ran a spawned like a mini version of Linux that kind of came out of the the side software wise of of the otherwise. Uh, Android smartphone and you kind of ran Linux in, in a minuscule amount of RAM and the whole thing ran like a dog and you didn't have any kind of uh, uh, sensible cross, cross-pollination cross of applications and data. It was just a complete no-no from the day one and the fact that it was something ridiculous like three or four hundred pounds just for the the, the shell and the keyboard without even you know without even the processor without the smartphone so is it continuum is a completely different beast um yes continuum will only be available i suspect on fairly high priced smartphones but to having said that the accessories shouldn't be too much i'm expecting Rafe. i mean there's the wireless option joe belfiore said several times that you will be able when it's all finished 
um, to be able to hook up to continuum wirelessly over Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, um, in which case you, there shouldn't be too much of an accessory burden in terms of finance um, to get yourself up and running, provided you've got a suitable big display with the appropriate wireless wireless compatibility. I'm presuming the Munchkin stuff and those cables, they, we could be looking at £60, £70 pounds for a complete kit. Who knows what they'll include in the box, indeed, and the things like the 950XL, but uh, certainly not in the, the Atrix territory where you're basically paying for the entire smartphone all over again. Yeah, no, it's, it's- it's a fair point it's a very different approach because we're obviously that much further on it's more powerful computing and i think the vital thing here is actually the approach that microsoft has taken with windows and particularly with the universal apps i mean the the key thing i think that will take the success or failure of continue is less about the hardware and we're kind of making the assumption that that will be fine and just how many apps kind of have continuum support um or how good the kind of automatic conversion is. And it's not quite clear how all of that's going to work. But we've seen things like Map and Word and Excel all running and looking actually very good. And it's kind of like the the touch versions of those apps which are starting to come onto Windows 10 on the desktop. And, you know, they are, as we've commented, the new Office apps are extremely powerful, a big, big step up from where we are now. And, you know, the rest of that, you know, with the other things that come in, that starts to get really interesting and it's one of the places where I think the value of universal apps will become much more apparent if that sort of thing uh, takes off. I mean, from a personal point of view, I think both you and I like the idea of using the same app on mobile and desktop um, because it, there's a certain amount of consistency and all the uh, kind of data portability and the same look and feel that comes with that. But of course, when it really is the same app running on the same device, but just in two different views, if you like, that's, I think, even more compelling in, in some ways. So, yeah, it's, it, it, you're good, right to call me up on sort of the comparison to the Atrix. It's, that's just kind of the vision, if you like. The implementation is uh, is very different, and it's going to be a lot tidier than the kind of the options that you've had before of plugging something in via an HDMI port and using a, a Bluetooth keyboard, because actually all that really did was kind of throw up the screen on on the big screen. What we're going to see with Continuum is actually there will be a kind of a reformatting of the view, and so it will be more suited to that bigger screen. And I think that's a very important distinction um, that I don't think people always uh, catch on to when talking about uh, Continuum. So it really is, you know, it will look much more like desktop Windows than it will look like uh, Windows 10 Mobile when you're running in Continuum mode. Yeah, yeah, I can still see that a, a use case for a businessman or professional rolling up at a 2016 hotel suite and there is a nice large monitor and it actually is com- compatible or it's got an HDMI port and they simply plug in their accessory or hook up wirelessly and as you say they, they can then use it as if it is a, a really large screened um, desktop well, it, well in actual fact when they've only brought with them the smartphone and a few cables or a few small accessories mm-hmm. and it all fits neatly in, in a quarter of their briefcase so there there is a use case there I still think the whole idea of Continuum is somewhat niche but it's a very interesting technical niche and uh, I think we wish it well over the next few months uh, moving on quickly, they have announced the um, phase one, if you like, of Windows 10 mobile rollout, and they've uh, Microsoft has announced it for the 43, Lumia 435, 535, 640, 640XL, 735, 830, and 930. So basically, the, fo- the phone's launched with a gig of RAM, as I said, and 8 gigabyte internal storage over the last 12 months or so, plus the slightly older uh, 830, 930 with fairly meaty processors. The 1520 is absent, and I, 
I guess that's the mystery one, Rafe. Well, I can see why the older devices like the S4 based phones, the 925, 1020, 920, and of some of the older budget phones, I can see why they might have their updates pushed into 2016. But any idea, if you have an idea, what it, why the 1520 is missing from that initial rollout list? No, it surprised me as well because, as far as I can see, it's in the same hardware family as things like the uh, well, the 930, and being the obvious one. Um, it may just be because it's just that little bit older. There's something in it that just makes it more difficult to to get that update, or it may be a case of it's not out there in enough numbers to kind of justify the effort that's put into it. I mean, it's it's interesting that I mean, obviously things like the uh, the five twenty and the uh, the five thirty will have lots and lots of devices, but there's a definite emphasis on the the lower end here. Um, and then there's the kind of eight thirty and the nine thirty as well. So yeah, no no real. Um, insight into why some of them are missing i mean i suppose you could draw a dividing line in terms of kind of the age and the 1520 and the 1320 were announced at actually effectively the very last uh nokia world event before it then you know microsoft acquired the company so um i, I think it's i think the dividing line is actually pretty much when uh, microsoft uh, you know took over nokia's devices and service division all the devices announced after that date appear to be getting the update and the ones before that are, are, are lagging a bit behind but that sounds like me trying to find a reason <laughs> rather than the actual reason yes you're floundering very slightly there but um I, this is such a shame because the lumia 1520 runs the insiders preview of windows 10 mobile better than any other phone absolutely. i've tried i mean yeah. i've got it running here and it's absolutely astonishing astonishing how beautiful and how smooth and how professional it seems on that larger higher resolution screen so i appreciate microsoft may need to put an extra bit of work into the you know just optimizing the interface for that size but i think it's worth it, it i think it will be an absolute flagship device for them for another year or so yeah. alongside the, the the new ones i mean the the only other thing i could maybe come up with is that we're going to see something like the 950 and 950 xl so they think there's going to be something in the kind of portfolio to be direct you know windows 10 mobile devices but that would you kind of ask well why is the 930 there um so yeah there's there's nothing here and i've been using windows 10 mobile on the 1520 um, and they seem to have done a pretty good job on it so uh, maybe there's something we're not quite aware of that makes it difficult to do an OTA update, or maybe it's just a simple you know, question of prioritization they've gone for the devices that have sold in bigger numbers. And to be fair, I would expect all of those devices that we listed there to probably have sold more than the 1520 over the course of their, their lifetime. You know, the 830 and the 930 certainly got a lot more exposure um, in phone shops uh, in the kind of kind of the UK and a lot of other markets I've visited, and the 1520 was also always something. It was a bit of a specialist device, although it was, when I say, one of our our favourites. And obviously, things like the 640 XL, 640, the 535, they were always going to be on this list because they're kind of the ones that are kind of current and selling in great numbers. Um, but uh, maybe someone will pop up and, and give us a good explanation for the 1520. If you do, please uh, email us or let us know via the usual channels. <laughs> um, I, I did mention the Lumia 1020 briefly in that piece and saying that uh, that I suspect that device may even remain a special case and there may be a an article there certainly for me putting out the reasons why people might actually want to keep the 1020 or Windows Phone 8.1 because of that it was designed for that OS the OS was designed for the hardware it works both ways and it is kind of special case but um, apart from that most of these devices will get the the update eventually we are expecting a brand new build of Windows 10 Mobile 
um, probably tomorrow or the next day. I know I say that quite often on the podcast, right? But it's usually at least a week out. But uh, it's just now been almost a month since the last build. So it is long overdue. Um, and of course, I'll report back on that in the left-hand column. Uh, we haven't got any more time to do another feature in this podcast, Ray. But I, what I'd like to do is hold my feature on Cortana versus Siri versus Google now versus BlackBerry System, which uh, was a, a, a renewed double the size c- comparison between the various voice assistants um, with a very different result. But I'd like to discuss all that with you perhaps in next week's podcast, if that's okay with you. Yeah, no, that sounds like a good one to, to talk about. And I'll just express my disappointment that you still actually can't get these personal assistants talking to each other and confusing them that way. Um, but uh, I will say the kind of little trail I have found myself using them more on all platforms, not just uh, Windows Phone. And I think their capability is certainly something to get increasingly impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And the actual, the bit that recognizes your voice, I'm sure we'll come back to this next week, but the bit that, you know, takes your audio voice in, in your particular accent, your particular speed of which you speak, uh, the language in which you speak, and then transcribes that is absolutely flawless on all four of those I just mentioned. Not once, I think not once in all of those tests did any of the phones get the actual words I was speaking, the query, the question, wrong at all. It was absolutely amazing. But the all the defects, if there are defects, they're all at the back end, the server side, which of course is where the these companies can improve and where they can put their resources. So it does b- b- bode well for the future, and we'll cover that next week on the podcast. But in the meantime, I think we're at uh, well over the 40-minute mark, so I'll say goodbye, and I'll leave Rafe to sign off as well. Yeah, it's a goodbye from me as well. Please do uh, uh, tune into the episode next week where we'll be talking about all of those issues and a lot more as well but now it's a goodbye from me and thank you very much for listening